Good morning. If you would, please turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. We will be reading verses 10 through 20. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram, and he said, What is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife, take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So concludes the reading of God's word. How many of you like March Madness? College basketball? Like four of you? Come on. Yeah, yeah, thank you, Meyer. Don't be a closet March Madness enjoyer. Yeah, as a University of Richmond grad, I, I don't get to watch my team in the dance very often. We've surfaced occasionally, but as a Virginia boy, um, I've enjoyed following UVA. And if you're not familiar with March Madness, uh, you need to know this, it is known for shocking reversals where a highly ranked team gets edged out by an underdog program that barely made the, the tournament cut. And college basketball fans, if they have any sort of experience, they usually anticipate a couple of these upsets when they fill out their bracket. If you don't know what that is, it's sort of the line-looking chart thing that has the, all the teams on the outsides and the winner in the middle. But I don't think... Of all the college basketball fans I know and talk to, that anybody saw UVA's loss to UMBC. You know what I'm talking about, Rich? Yeah. Coming in March of this past year. So to quote the Associated Press and to help all of you are thinking, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. The University of Maryland, Baltimore County, UMBC, stunned the sports world by pulling off the most surprising upset in college basketball history trouncing Virginia 74-54 on Friday night to become the first number 16 seed ever to beat a number one seed in the men's NCAA tournament. Virginia entered the NCAA tournament as the number one overall seed after going 31-2 in the regular season, including 20-1 in ACC competition. Frankly, the question wasn't whether the Cavs would win this game, but if they'd get to the Final Four and win it all. But UMBC, an afterthought for fans who filled out brackets, didn't just beat Virginia, it dominated. 
throughout the entire second half, dismantling the 20 and a half point favorites by 20 points. UMBC scored 53 points in the second half, one point shy of how many Virginia scored in the entire game. Wasn't pretty. Wasn't pretty. It, one of those games where I, I didn't even want to text my brother afterward. It's just, you know, we're just going to grieve in silence. <laughs> because prior to that game, number one seeds in the NCAA tournament, history of the tournament, were 135 and 0 against 16 seeded teams. It was, a, it was a shocking reversal. You know, anybody has a favorite sports team, they're always, whenever their team loses, it's shocking, they're always supposed to win. No, this was a genuinely shocking reversal because Virginia had everything going for them. They had a vaunted defense, they had a, a stellar regular season record, but when the moment of testing arrived, they failed. That's what it felt like. You just sit there, failure. They faltered. I think unexpected failure is hard to take in the sports world, um, especially if it's your team. Um, it was a good year for me being an Eagles fan, but this next season could be full of all manner of unexpected failures. But, but I don't think the pain of unexpected failure is limited to sports. I think it happens all the time in the spiritual realm. All the time. In Genesis 12, at the beginning of this chapter, a man named Abram has everything going for him. Absolutely everything. It starts off so well. What does the Lord say to him? Look at verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, buddy. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And in and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now look at verse 4, chapter 12. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. He started off so well. His, his obedience was fueled by faith. I mean, can, can a barren, a man with a barren wife and not a square inch of land to his name, he's a nomad, become a great nation? Abram says, yes. Why? Because what is impossible with man is possible with God. He, he proves his willingness to trust the Lord to do everything that he's promised to do. But in the second half of chapter 12, things get a lot more difficult for Abram. It was hard enough, if you look at verse 1 of chapter 12, for him to go from his country, his kindred, his father's house. But in verse 10 of chapter 12, things get even more difficult. Look at verse 10. What does it tell us? Now there was a famine in the land. Think about that. What's the land? It's the very place that God brought Abram. It's also the very place that God promised to pour out all those blessings on Abram. So he gets to the land. He's waiting for God to bring all the blessings he's promised. 
And what is the first thing he sees coming down the pike? A famine. Instead of blessing, he gets hit with famine. And if I'm Abram, I am thinking, how, how am I ever going to become a great nation, let alone a blessing to all the families of the earth, if I don't even have enough food to live on? And eventually, he decides to leave the Negev and sojourn in the land of, of Egypt. And we have to be careful here because there's no record of the Lord telling him to go or not go to Egypt. Though in Genesis chapter 46, the Lord does tell another man named Jacob to what? To go down to Egypt so that his family could survive a famine in the land. There's no account. Genesis is silent on whether this was in and of itself obedience or disobedience for Abram, but what is clear, what is clear from these events that take place in Egypt is that Abram's faith that started off so strong goes through a shocking reversal. And it starts to crumble. It starts to waver. And instead of trust in the Lord, he tries to take matters into his own hands. And when he does that, the situation goes from bad to worse. Just to summarize everything that we've heard. <laughs> so here's the question. Why are stories of spiritual testing and failure in the Bible? I mean, you come here on Sunday and think, I, I want something encouraging. Like, and then God did wonderful works and the man followed the Lord and got married and had a million kids. And they all lived happily ever after. Why are these stories of spiritual failure in the Bible? Well, I would argue, friends, it's because spiritual failure isn't just Abram's experience. It's our experience. It's our story. Because as soon as faith in God begins to rise in our hearts, what, what do we inevitably find? As soon as faith begins to rise, we inevitably find a temptation to fear close at hand. And that's not an accident okay? Nor, nor is that God just playing some sick joke on you. You know what that's called? That's called the king of the universe testing your faith. He's testing your faith. And the fact that Abram in this case fails the test is really helpful for us in two respects. Okay, first, it helps us understand the spiritual danger of fear. Okay, we're going to look at that if we pay careful attention to the reason Abram stumbled, it, that can protect us from stumbling, okay? That's the first reason these stories are helpful. Second, it reminds us, please hear this, that, that even when man is faithless, when our faith just crumbles into an ocean of fear and unbelief, guess what happens? God remains faithful. Okay, so, so stories like this, they, they serve an important spiritual function in our lives. They warn us away from the peril of fear, and they strengthen our confidence in the faithfulness of God. That's the goal. But if we're going to appreciate God's faithfulness for what it is, we have to first recognize our faithlessness for what it is. Because the opposite of faith, the, the arch enemy of faith, is what? It's fear. It's fear. And it's precisely the temptation to fear that traps Abram on his way to Egypt. So there are two points I want to make this morning. The first much longer than the second. I'd like to warn you about that. And the first point is this. The peril of fear is great. Peril or danger of fear is great. 
Abram is roughly 75 years old at this point in Genesis. That makes Sarai about 65. Now, our culture, be very careful here, typically doesn't think of 65-year-old women as the paradigm of physical beauty. Okay, notice I made no statements about anyone in this room. I don't want to get any emails about you're going after. No, I didn't go there. I just made a cultural observation that typically our culture doesn't think of 65-year-old women as the paradigm of physical beauty. But either their cultural criteria were different than our own. That's possible. Or Sarai is a serious exception to the norm because she's described by her husband Abram in verse 11, look there, as beautiful in appearance. Unless you read that and think, yeah, he was objective. Look down in verse 14. The princes, the young men in Egypt, saw that she was what? Very beautiful. I learned recently that, that there are some who use these number ranking systems to rate physical beauty. It's like one to 10 or something like that. So at risk of getting this wrong, Sarai's a 10, okay? She's a 10. She's very beautiful. And that creates a dilemma in Abram's mind. He's not stupid. He's 75. He's been around the block a few times. He's, he's a wandering Aramean with no rights, no privileges in a place like Egypt. And he can't shake this growing sense of anxiety that when the Egyptians see his wife, they're going to kill him to get her. Look at verse 12. Sarai, when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife? <laughs> then they'll kill me, but they'll let you live. So he concocts a plan. He creates a, a ruse designed to deceive the Egyptians about his relationship with Sarai and save his own skin, except, of course, it's not completely a lie, right? Because Sarai is technically his half-sister. Technically. But, of course, it's designed to deceive the Egyptians. Look at verse 13. So he says to his wife, Say to them, You are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. And on the surface, and feel free to admit this, even to yourself as you hear me say this, it almost sounds like wisdom. Okay? I, I'm serious. It almost sounds like wisdom. I mean, you've, you've got the Egyptians who are big and bad. You've got Abram, who's just one guy with a drop-dead gorgeous wife. Well, what's the harm in, in just kind of spinning the truth a little bit to save your life? He's just playing it smart. Except he's actually not. Why not? Because he stopped walking by faith. He actually embraced the exact opposite of faith. He, he left the path of faith and he chose the path of unbelief, of doubt, of fear. And that in the path of fear, please hear this, in his heart, the fear in his heart, is masquerading, it's disguising, it's hiding unbelief as wisdom. It's what fear always does. 
It takes unbelief, doubt, not believing the promises of God, and it cloaks it. It, it hides it. I was tempted to you know, wear a t-shirt that says unbelief and then put on a big old robe that just says wisdom. Cloak my unbelief. Because that's what fear does. It justifies the sin of unbelief as wisdom. Think, think about this. What, what did God just finish promising Abram? Abram, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will bless those who bless you and punish those who dishonor you. I have obligated myself to you, buddy, as an expression of pure grace to do you good all the days of your life. That's the last thing you heard from the king of the universe. I'm your Lord. I'm your king. I'm your protector. Abram, follow me because you can trust me. So here's a question for you. Whose word, whose decree, whose judgment is decisively in control of the future of Abram's life from that point forward? It's the Lord's, right? It's the word of God, the promises of God. Whose word does Abram conclude is decisively in control of the future course of his life in verses 12 and 13? The Egyptian the bad word, and Sarai, the word of salvation. Okay, his, his implicit trust in the words of men was an implicit rejection of the word of God. What, what did he say in verse 13? Look there very carefully. What did he say? Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. What should Abram have said in light of all the promises God had made to him? He should have said, Sarai, know this. It is going to go well with us because of the Lord. And it's going to go well with me and my life is going to be protected because of the Lord's sake. He said to his wife the exact opposite of what faith said. He said what unbelief says. The Lord had promised to protect him. He'd promised to preserve him. He'd, he'd promised to give him descendants and make him a great nation. And therefore, if Abram had believed the word of God, he would have known this. I am safe. I'm secure. It doesn't matter what the, what the Egyptians think. It doesn't matter what the Egyptians say. It doesn't matter what the Egyptians do. What matters is what God has said and what God is going to do. It's what he should have said. And so it's not wisdom talking in verses 12 or 13. It's unbelief. And, and that's what fear does. It causes us to justify our unbelief as wisdom. Okay, we conclude that, that the words of men, the words and actions of men, govern the future course of our life instead of the words and actions of God. And like Abram, we, we believe that, that our life going well or our life being what? Spared? Depends on what people say instead of what God says. We do that. We do that. So friend, know this. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, whenever you find yourself trembling with fear, and I especially want to appeal to the men that are listening to, listening to me because we don't like to admit this, right? 
Fear's for wimps. So if you are afraid, just suck it up and don't say anything. No, you're lying. Be honest because God knows your heart. When you're trembling with fear, it is because in some way, please hear this, you have decided that the words and actions of men are more determinative, more decisive, more influential in the future of your life than the words and actions of God. It's what you're doing. Your fear might seem rational. It might seem wise. I mean, my fears, I don't know about yours, I think all y'alls are irrational. My fears are entirely rational. <laughs> they always make sense in my own mind. But, but, but fear is what? It's ultimately the, the fruit of unbelief, of a failure on our part to, to trust, to believe the promises of God. There are reasons to be afraid. But know this, if you're a Christian, you have far better reasons to trust the Lord. Okay, the Bible doesn't say to fear, all those reasons that tempt you to fear, that's just smoke and mirrors. No, it's a gritty book. It's, it's an honest worldview. The Egyptians really did see that Sarai was what? Very beautiful. I mean, it wasn't like Abram got there. And Abram, I mean, what, a, what a joke. I mean, they, they think she's 65. You're delusional. No, it was, there were real reasons for fear. But what did Abram have? He had better reasons to trust the Lord. Better reasons. When you see a reason for fear in your life, don't deny it or think God wants you to stick your head in the, the sand of blind leap of faith. No, you fight that with better reasons to trust the Lord. What are those reasons? Isaiah 41 verse 10. Look at this. 41.10. Fear not. That's a command, by the way, not a request or invitation. Fear not. Why? Always ask why questions. They're, they're the best. Why? For I am what? With you. I'm with you, the Lord says to you. Next command. Be not dismayed. Why not? For I am your God. I'm your God. Your wife is not your God. Your boss is not your God. The president of this country is not your God. The police on the streets are not God. I am God. I will strengthen you. I made the universe. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. But what do we say to those words of promise? We say, oh God, thanks, but I mean, come on. Let's be realistic. The world's a, a pretty terrifying place. What if I lose my job? What if I get really sick? What if the stock market crashes? What if my car gets totaled? Oh, I know what I'll do. I know. I'll buy every available insurance policy so that no matter what happens, I'm Am I saying that buying insurance is like Abram lying about Sarai? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. What I am saying is that we need to ask the Lord to show us 
where our hearts have embraced fear instead of faith and where our fear is justifying or cloaking unbelief as wisdom and where we've exchanged trust in the favor and approval of God for trust in the favor and approval of man. That's what I'm saying. Because you can buy insurance for two very different reasons. Fear led Abram to make that exchange, right? He exchanged trust in the favor and approval of God. Eh, Not so cool. This is what I need. Trust in the favor and approval of man. He thought he could control the situation through deception, but it didn't work. I don't know what if he was thinking. Genesis is a little silent on this, but maybe he thought, well, if I say she's my sister, then then they have to come as, (coughs) as suitors, and maybe I can just hold off these clowns long enough till we get our grain and we can just get out of here. I don't know what he was thinking, but I don't think he imagined that this would happen. Look at verse 15. And when the, they saw she was beautiful, verse 15, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. They just took her. They didn't ask. He had no rights, no privileges. Pharaoh just took her. Why is that a problem? It's a problem because the absence of Sarai, the loss of his wife, threatens God's entire program to bless Abram. And by the way, if you read your whole Bible, it threatens the very line in which Jesus Christ was one day born. There's a lot at stake in God giving or not giving offspring through Sarai to this man. The Lord promised to give him offspring, but when life got difficult, he gave in to his fears instead of fighting his fears, and he tried to get smart instead of trusting the Lord, and he wound up getting Sarai abducted into the royal harem of a pagan king. I mean, you think barrenness is one thing, okay? How about no more wife at all, pal? How's, how's that going to work for you? How, how's that for the highly desirable, it will go well with me, that you were trying to create for your little life? You don't even have a wife, and all you got in return was just a bunch of donkeys, <laughs> And if you look at verse 16 on the heels of this, losing his wife, this verse, it's easy to miss this, this is dripping with irony. <laughs> dripping. And for her sake, Pharaoh dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, female servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. <laughs> I don't think... That's the sort of it will go well with me (laughs) that Abram had in mind back in verse 13 when he told Sarai to lie about her relationship with him, okay? I mean, make no mistake, Pharaoh certainly spared his life, right? So in, in one sense, he gets exactly what he wanted, but it's a bitter pill. It's a bitter pill. He, he received a pile of material wealth, but what did he lose? He lost his wife and he threatened God's entire program 
to bring all those blessings to pass. And that was real. There are real consequences to fear in your life. Real consequences. And the actions that we take in response to this voice of fear, this peril of fear, they, they seem so rational, right? They seem so right, so responsible, but, but they ultimately lead to frustration and sorrow. Why? Because when unbelief and not faith is ruling our hearts, we're not following the Lord, okay? Obedience is fueled by what? Faith. You know what disobedience is fueled by? unbelief. That's why it doesn't go well with you if you're walking in fear. And, and I think that amidst the messiness of life in a, in a fallen and broken world, in my experience, it can be really difficult to discern the difference between these two things. So follow me here. How do we know if an action that, that seems prudent, that seems wise, is an expression of faith or an expression of unbelief? You know what I'm saying? That this decision, just take buying insurance, okay? I'll give you some more examples shortly. But how do I know if that thing that looks wise, that looks prudent, I mean, it's just street smart. Have her lie about a relationship with you. It just looks wise. How do I know if that is an expression of faith or an expression of fear and unbelief? I think that's hard to figure out sometimes. And so I'm grateful because in, in Abram's experience here in Genesis 12, I think the Lord gives us some really practical questions that we can use to discern the difference between those things, okay? So think of these as, as four checks that we can use to make sure that we're actually walking in wisdom and not just hiding unbelief behind our fear. Does that make sense? Okay, so four checks, right? I'll go through these fairly quickly. Here's the first. Here's the first. How do I know if this action I'm considering, this, this choice I might be making, is this driven by faith or unbelief? Check number one. Check the word. Check the word. Question. What has the Lord already said about this situation? You got to start there. Okay, Abram probably thought, remember this, he probably thought that he was being wise. Say you're my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, that my life may be spared for your sake. But it wasn't true. It wasn't true. God had just finished telling him that it would go well with him because of the Lord and his life would be spared for the Lord's sake. So at a foundational level, what did Abram do? He forgot the word of God. He forgot the word of God, and the word he forgot was a word that spoke directly to his situation. So let me give you an example, okay? We're going to get real practical here. Say you're a Christian, and you want to be married. And you've been waiting for years, maybe, maybe for decades. And, and when it seems like all hope is lost, you, you finally meet the guy or the girl that seems like the perfect match. And they don't just have a great personality. They're a 10. They look great, Okay? And they're everything you always wanted. I mean, the strengths, the weaknesses, the, the funny little dimples on their face. I mean, it's just like, and you're a guy, and you're just like this melted piece of whatever. You know, it's amazing. Are you guys together? No, we're not official. She's amazing. 
You know, so all that's going on, and there's a problem. You're not sure they're a Christian. They've got a lot of questions about God. When you go there in conversation, it gets a little awkward. Best case scenario, they're open. But if you're being objective and honest, they're not a believer yet. And you are. What has the Lord already said about your situation? What's he said? 2 Corinthians 6.14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. You can't interpret your way out of that. (laughs) For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness? Okay, you you check the word of God and it reveals that, that your relationship, no matter how better you feel on the inside, that's not an expression of genuine faith, no matter how much it feels like faith. You tracking with me? Because in that moment, it feels like if it feels good, it must be God. We do that. But what have we not done? We haven't checked the word. What has God already said? Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For you to stay in that relationship is an expression of unbelief. You're refusing to believe that light cannot have fellowship with darkness, and more likely than not, your fear of being single all your days till you die and go into the dirt is clouding your judgment. And so you start finding ways to, well, you know, culturally back then, Paul was actually talking about one couple at one point in time, and he doesn't really, really? What has God already said? Abram thought his plan would work. Translation, maybe if we get married, they'll be saved. And on one level, his plan did. But at the same time, it brought all manner of unforeseen pain and sorrow. It threatened the very purpose of God for his life. Why? Why did it bomb? Because it's not our human plans that ever prevail. It's the word of God that prevails. That's why what God says always happens, what we hope will happen, may happen. So the first thing we do to discern is this Genuine faith talking or is this fear hiding my unbelief as wisdom? Is ask, check the word. What has God already said? What has he said, okay? There's a whole sermon in that. Second check. Check your motives. Check your motives. Is the decision I'm about to make driven more by faith or fear? Well, let me help us with this here, okay? Did you notice what is completely missing from all of Abram's calculations in verses 11 to 13. What's completely missing? When you're reading scripture, it's important to pay attention not just to what's there, but what's not there. What's not there? God. There's absolutely no mention of the Lord. Abram is working and thinking and scheming and putting his smart pants on in a completely godless worldview. And on a functional level, it's as if the Lord doesn't even exist in that moment. 
His entire calculus, all his thinking, there's not the slightest hint of trust in the Lord, let alone a positive desire to do what God has called him to do. There's no faith. There's no confidence in the Lord. Fear is doing all the talking. Why is that important to recognize? Because of Romans 14, 23. Look, for whatever does not proceed from faith, whatever's not motivated by faith in your life, is sin. That's why it's an important question. Check your motives. Is the decision I'm about to make driven more by faith or fear? That won't just determine, is this wise or unwise? That'll determine, is this sin or is this righteousness? (laughs) Because in a fallen world, our motives, your motives, they're always going to be mixed. Always. But, but the Holy Spirit knows our hearts. He knows your heart. And so what he's re- really good at doing and is willing to do, if you ask him, as I prayed earlier, he'll show you what your primary motives are. He'll reveal that to you if you genuinely want to know. He'll show you. He'll help you recognize if your motivation, your primary motivation, has switched from faith to fear. And know this. Wherever fear is driving the car of your life, unbelief is always lurking in the shadows. Wherever you say, you know what, I think if I'm being totally honest and what I'm about to say won't change the consequences my parents bring, this is mainly driven by fear. If I say we can't go there physically, I'm afraid she'll leave me. If fear is driving the car, you can conclude, friend, unbelief is lurking in the shadows. You just conclude it. So for example, let's say your teenage child makes a really, really bad decision. Not that teenagers ever would. And as parents, you're just horrified. You're you're, you're terrified by the prospect that they could do something like that again. So what do you do? You immediately begin taking absolutely everything away except the clothes on their back. And maybe they'll learn. Don't do that. I brought those consequences because I'm full of faith. I'm not so sure. Where is the quiet, steady, Godward confidence that King Jesus is in charge of that child's life. You're just angry. You're fearful. You're not following the Lord. You're reacting to your child's sin. And, and your actions might seem like wisdom, but, but really it's unbelief. Why? Because wisdom is always fueled by faith. It's never fueled by fear. So, so we need to check our motives. Is the decision I'm about to make driven more by faith or fear? Third check. Check the horizon. Check the horizon. We need juice. And you can see the question. Am I acting on the basis of what I know is true today or what I think could happen tomorrow? Which one is it? Follow me here. Okay, by definition, fear lives in the future. Lives in the future, and it tries to keep you and me living in the future. Not in the present, in the future. 
So fear goads us, pushes us into envisioning all manner of terrifying outcomes, and then it pulls us into trying to control the present in order to guarantee a better tomorrow. Make sense? That's what happens. Notice in verse 12 how Abram is focused on what the Egyptians might do or could do when they see Sarai. Could the Egyptians try to take his life in order to steal his wife? Of course they could. Of course they could, all right? There there are a thousand bad things that could happen to you and me tomorrow. A thousand bad things. But, But what does he know for sure today? What does he know today? Today, he knows for sure that God has promised to bless him, to prosper him, to multiply him, and to protect him. So I don't know what they will do, Sarai. I don't know what they will do, but I know what God will do. And that's what Abram needed to focus on because listen, what we know about God today is the wellspring of faith. What you and I know from the word of God about God today is the wellspring of faith. Faith faith isn't some sort of blind belief that against all odds, Nothing bad will happen tomorrow. You know what that's called? Being stupid. (laughs) Okay, faith is about trusting God will take care of us tomorrow, no matter what happens tomorrow, because of what he's already told us about himself today. Today. The fuel of faith isn't a future knowledge of our circumstances. It's a present knowledge of the Lord. Remember that. Check the horizon. Last check. Check your love. Question, am I more concerned in this situation about other people or myself? Remember what we're after here with these checks. Is this action or decision I'm considering driven by faith or driven by unbelief? Because our fear sometimes gets in and hides unbelief and it looks like wisdom. So this fourth check can really help. Am I more concerned in this situation about other people or myself? Okay, one of the clearest indicators that what seemed wise to Abram was really unbelief is what he doesn't say, keep bringing this up, in verses 12 and 13, okay? Notice he doesn't say anything about what will be good for Sarah. Catch that? or what will happen to Sarah. He's completely focused on himself. There's no, say you are my sister, that it may go well with us. Rather, say you are my sister, that it may go well with me, and that my life may be spared for your sake. I mean, Abram, what about Sarah's life? What about her life? Have you thought about what could happen if they actually believe she's available? Hello. (laughs) Friend, you can safely assume that fear is calling the shots of your life when all your concerns in a given situation are focused on yourself, on you, on how you'll be impacted, how you'll be affected, or, or what you can do to avoid getting hurt. Okay, there's a reason in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, the Apostle Paul talks about faith, genuine faith, working through what? Working through love. Genuine faith works through love. 
Genuine faith always expands our circle of concern to include other people. It works through love. What does unbelief do? Unbelief always narrows our circle of concern to include no one but myself. It's, it's myopic by definition. And so if you want to know whether a particular decision on your part is wise or if it's really unbelief masquerading as wisdom, check your love. Check your love. Are you more concerned about other people or yourself? Check the word, check your motives, check your horizon, check your love. Why? Because the peril of fear is great. The peril of fear is great. But the story doesn't end there, does it? It doesn't. The peril of fear is great, point number one. Point number two, please hear this, church. The power of God is greater still. Amen. Believe that? The peril of fear is great. I've lingered on that today because Jesus does, God does. But we have to know this, that the peril of fear is great. The power of God is greater still. Remember, God is completely missing from Abram's view of the situation. But you know what that doesn't mean? Praise the Lord for this. That doesn't mean God is actually missing from the situation. <laughs> okay? I hope you heard that. God is completely missing from Abram's view of the situation. No God. Godless view of the world. But that doesn't mean that God is actually missing from the situation. Look at verse 17, chapter 12. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. You know what that is? That's the faithfulness of God. It's the faithfulness of God. What, what did God say back in Genesis 12, verse 3? Look there. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. Abram endangered his wife by failing to believe the word of God. He was faithless. But you know what his faithless, faithlessness didn't do? It didn't stop the Lord from doing exactly what he promised to do. Notice that. Abram was faithless, but his faithlessness didn't make the Lord faithless. It didn't undermine the Lord's faithfulness. If anything, it just showed the contrast. God remained faithful. He kept his word. And though you could argue Pharaoh's sin was unintentional, it was nonetheless grievous. Unintentional sin is not no sin. Another whole message on that. But God got his attention. Suffice it to say, <coughs> and we don't know exactly how he figured out that Sarai was Abram's wife. All we know is that when he discovered it, he was not a happy Pharaoh. <laughs> so look at verse 18. So Pharaoh called, translation on penalty of death and judgment, summoned Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? <clears throat> Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her for my wife. Why, why, why? The stories of the Old Testament almost always communicate their primary meaning in the dialogue. That's for free. <laughs> and it's worth knowing because in this case, those why questions are never answered. But what does that do? 
That prompted the original recipients of Genesis, as it prompts us, to say, why indeed? We're, we're left with the questions. We're wrestling with them. So why? Why indeed? Well, I think the answer is clear. Abram was afraid. Right? We've seen that. He stopped walking by faith. He succumbed to unbelief. He, he's supposed to be what? A blessing to all the families of the earth. You know what happens the first time God puts up a ball up on the tee of, here, go be a blessing to your first family of the earth. Plagues. <laughs> That's what happens. Results in a plague. His sin of fear and unbelief undermined his witness to the world. Just like it does in our life. But nevertheless, God used the plague to deliver Sarai and protect Abram's offspring. Look at verse 19. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and get out of here. Abram jeopardized the promise of God. What did God do? God protected the promise. He, he proved to Abram from early on in his relationship with the Lord that it was not ever going to be Abram's intelligence or Abram's faithfulness that would bring the promises of God to pass. It would be the faithfulness of God and God alone that would bring all these promises to pass. He's proving that to Abram. And he's proving that, that God's program to bring blessing into his life wouldn't even be halted by Abram's sin. Think about that. Friend, you realize that is precisely what the cross of Jesus Christ proclaims over you, Christian. That your greatest sin cannot ultimately stop God's program to bring blessing into your life. That's what the gospel says over you. Hear that this week. My sin, if you are in Christ, son or daughter of God, through repenting of your sins, trusting him to save you, the sin in your life cannot ultimately stop God's program to bring blessing into your life. When Abram was faithless, God remained faithful, and he even used the situation to bring greater material blessing into his life. Look at verse 20. And they sent him away with his wife and all his ill-gotten gain. All he had, the, the Lord graciously allowed him to keep all of that. So, so what do we have here? We have this serious warning of the danger of fear, but the danger of fear isn't the main point of the story. You know what the main point, the main lesson is? It's the faithfulness of God. The peril of fear is great, but the power of God is greater still. So if you're a Christian, I'll conclude with this. If you've been united to Christ by faith, okay, the, the one in whom all the promises of God or yes and amen, then there's something you need to know about your life in Christ. It's a life of faith. It's a life of faith. Faith keeps us on the path of following Jesus. Fear leads us away from following Jesus. That's why it's so important. Fear is the arch enemy of your soul. But when you inevitably fall prey to fear, and you find yourself suffering, as we so often do, from the consequences of our sin, remember this, please remember this. Though the power of fear is real, and the power of man to sin is real, the power of God to bless is decisive. The consequences of your choice to fear, get off the path, are real. The gospel doesn't magic eraser make them go away. 
But you know what it does say? It does say that ultimately because of Jesus Christ, the power of fear is not decisive. It's the power of God that's decisive. So I implore you, friend, we have to run from the peril of fear. We have to cling to Christ by faith, but you had better not start trusting your faithfulness. Trust God's faithfulness. Trust his faithfulness. Because the father who raised the son is faithful to raise all who are found in him, all who, who trust in him, what the deliverance of Sarai foretold, the resurrection of Christ confirmed. Where man is faithless, God remains faithful. That was true in Abram's life. Brothers and sisters, if you're found in Christ, that is always going to be true of your life. Where, where man is faithless, God remains faithful. And so this contrast in chapter 12 between the beginning that starts great, perfect record in the season, number one overall seed, and the sudden reversal, the crumbling of his faith, it's striking. It's shocking. It won't be the last time we see something like this, but if we pay careful attention to it, we'll find that the reasons Abram stumbled can protect us from following him in the stumble. It's the first reason this is a gift. And secondly, even when our faith crumbles into that ocean of fear like Abram's did, stories like this remind us that God's gonna remain faithful to you. And you can trust that. Where man is faithless, God remains faithful. That's the takeaway. So I implore you, I charge you, take seriously the battle against fear. Do, do the hard work of discerning, using those checks. Is this choice I'm about to make driven by faith or is this driven by fear and unbelief? Don't presume simply because you can't see any fear that it's not on the move inside of you, okay? But when you see it, don't freak out. Because <laughs> if you're a Christian, God's going to be faithful to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, none of us would want to be Abram in this story. We quite prefer to sit in our seats and look at other people's failures, no less in the word than we like to on social media. Because it's comfortable. When we see it on TV, when we read it online, even sometimes when we see it in the word, we can sit back, relax, and spectate. Lord Jesus, I pray there would be no spectating going on this week. But that having seen a sobering story, both the peril of fear and the power of God, that we would be diligent to fight the battle and diligent to not trust our power in the battle. Help us do that even as we sing this song that we might be a people who relentlessly fight fear. But do it with a quiet, steady confidence that you're the faithful God. You got it. You got us. And in you, it's gotta be okay. Thanks for that.